Hi guys, welcome back to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host, as always, Steve Hall, and today I have Holly Baxter back on the show, solo this time because she's only been on for two roundtables previously, and it was a great podcast, great discussion. She recently competed with WBFF, and we touch upon what was different this time round. She actually had to go about losing muscle. What was that like for this contest prep? We talk about performance-enhancing drugs, and then we dig into some of the things that maybe you don't see on social media, some of the downsides when you are competing and some of the costs of competing that you probably want to be aware of that maybe not too many people talk about. Really fantastic discussion, guys. I think you're going to enjoy this a lot. And as a reminder, if you love these podcasts, you love learning, you'll love our email because we now and then chuck out tidbits of information that I think are really valuable to you guys. We don't spam you with rubbish. It's all great information that's really valuable if you want to sign up to our email list. That's also linked down in the description too. But without further ado, let's get into the chat. Hi guys, welcome back to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host, as always, Steve Hall, and today I have Holly Baxter on the podcast. Uh, this is actually Holly's, I guess, third time. We've actually had four episodes come out with you, Holly, uh, but the previous, I guess, two roundtables were roundtables, so I haven't had Holly on just <laughs> one-on-one, and I thought it was about time, and there'd been several requests asking for Holly to come back on the show, so I definitely wanted to oblige Aww. the audience. Uh, but for those who don't know Holly, she is a dietitian and nutrition educator, she co-founded, I think, the app a lot of maybe the listeners will have also heard of is the Carbon Diet Coach app. And she is a WBFF pro and a coach herself. And we're going to be digging into some of that. But uh, yeah, I don't know if there's anything else you kind of want to let the listeners know. And it's been a while since you've come on. So you, you've been up to a lot. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, well, most recently, I've just uh, started my own coaching, all-female coaching team. Um, I guess the whole idea behind that was um, built by females designed for females. So I'm in the process of gathering a team. Oh my gosh, I've been interviewing up to my ears. I've been sleepless nights, but you know, um, when you're so passionate about something, yeah, it's, it's all very worth it. So that's the only thing that's new since our last time we've come on. Yeah, I can imagine it's, this is actually a question uh, I had actually thought about asking you this. I haven't actually sent it to you or, or like <laughs> said anything about it, but it's something I sometimes think about. Obviously, I host this podcast and uh, like I, I, I want to bring on a, like a swath of people and I'm always looking and I'm like, oh, there's not actually that. I, I regularly have male guests, not regularly have female guests. I don't know if you have any thoughts to why there aren't as many females kind of in the space, especially in like like high level educators. They don't tend to be within the evidence based space. There's just not as many as them. Uh, you're mm. kind of one of a select few, at least from what I have seen. Yeah, I I wish that I, I had a strong answer for you. I think, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of incredibly intelligent women out there that, you know, have f- pursued exercise science. Um, you know, I'm I'm one of those people and there are a lot of women, but I think, you know, there's such a there was such a saturation in the industry itself, I think, with males that were already existing. So because women are now coming through kind of in the shadow of males, I think it's just a lot harder for us to kind of be known and then be taken seriously. And I think if you look at, you know, some of the like marketing strategies and sales tactics, um, typically women are the the buyers that they're they're the ones that are kind of buying products or moreover than males particularly in this industry 
Um, and then I think females also trust males and sometimes they trust males more than females, which is really bizarre. Yeah. So I think we've kind of got, you know, this dichotomy where, you know, women want to be recognized in the fitness industry, but we also don't want to buy from females. So it's really, really bizarre. And I'm really, you know, hoping that we can get a bit of a movement where like we can have these intelligent women um, kind of come together and, you know, support each other. Um, and I think it's just a matter of time before we start to get some individuals that are stepping into this scene and, you know, blowing it up for, you know, females as a whole. Yeah, I think there's there's probably like you could probably do a huge podcast just on this subject because there's probably so many angles you could attack it from, even down to the fact I'm a male, so probably slightly biased towards bringing other males onto the show potentially as well and that sort of thing. And I guess it's a originally bodybuilding, at least in physique sports, were a male-dominated thing. Like they exactly. were first like through like bikini was very actually still f fairly new. And uh, that's something we're going to jump into actually is to kind of how that's morphed over time. But yeah. uh, do you have a specific target audience? for your coaching is there kind of if there's people listening you think i don't know they might be the person that will want to seek you out can you ask that again sorry have you, have you got like a specific i don't know what it would be called an avatar is there like a specific woman that you're trying to help or is it quite broad um honestly i think i'd like to be able to be broad um my initial like interest and reason for being in the industry was because i found myself you know stumbling into the bodybuilding space um, and I've kind of lived that life and now I'm kind of coming out the other side, I'll say coming out from the darkness <laughs> um, and, you know, seeing women for who they are. And there are so many different, um, I guess, demographics that need support and that don't have the means and the tools or resources to get, you know, evidence-based information. So uh, I think, you know, I'm going to probably attract people that are more like generally interested in their health and well-being. Um, I'm still going to have the women that are highly focused on bodybuilding because that's where I've come from. That's kind of how I am known. Uh, and I'm still in, in that industry myself competing. But, you know, I, I love the idea of empowering females. I've, I've joked with friends that, you know, I'm probably at some point in my life going to become um, a feminist and I'm, I'll be a cat lady <laughs> because I'm just so passionate about it. And I think, you know, some of that lends itself because of my history. Um, I, had, I know I haven't spoken or touched on a lot of that stuff with you in past episodes, but, you know, there's been a lot of, you know, major traumatic life events um, that have kind of uh, been the reason for why I am in this space. And I think kind of having worked through, um, you know, some of that trauma and, you know, have done the healing process that needed to be done. I just know that there are so many other people that are in my position and, you know, their traumas or their experiences might be a little bit different to my own experiences, but like the root, um, it, the root cause might be different, but the symptoms, which often lead to things like eating disorders, low self-confidence, you know, low self-worth, you know, the symptoms are the same. So, you know, I just know that I can relate to such a broad demographic of women and really help them step into their shoes, find their, you know, their true self um, through the power of education. So yeah that sounds great yeah i'm like yeah i'm sure you will you're attract obviously like the physique competitors because of your background but yeah i'm sure there's a lot of women that have heard that 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 really appeals to and actually final question is it for females only or will you also be coaching men through that service 
<laughs> That's a really good question. I've had to think a lot about this. I've sat with it for a while. Um, and it's so funny. I've had about three or four males sign up just in the last week or so. Okay. <laughs> kind of ironic. Um, but look, I, I won't say no. Um, and I think, you know, any of my team, they're probably not going to say no either because at the end of the day, like, I feel like our purpose is here to help people. And, you know, if somebody wants our help, male or female, I probably am not going to turn them down truly. Um, but I think the the marketing efforts, the products, the services that we um, are sharing and bringing to you guys are really kind of going to be focused on, you know, helping women specifically. Guess now, even that half question. The, half the audience is gone now, guys. I, <laughs> I, know. I promise I'll, I'll look after you. <laughs> I was just going to say it's 2022 now. So like male, female, it's like, well, we fluid, <laughs> like it's just kind of, yeah, it's, it's one of those. So uh, you're here and you're ready to help as many people as possible. Yeah, so that sounds fantastic. And uh, I guess uh, to go on to kind of the way I was going to lead this podcast was, I, I believe you are now just under 10 weeks from having competed at WBFF Worlds. Is that right? Is, Is that around that time? <laughs> I think it's maybe a month. August. So what is it now? It's November, early November. So um, yeah, August was my world championships uh, for the WBFF. Um, I placed fourth this year. So I actually, I regressed, but it was a calculated risk. And I'd love to talk a little bit about that. So if we think about most bodybuilding federations, like the leanest person on the stage, the most symmetrical person on the stage, the person with the best overall, you know, physique and look, you know, if they're attractive, you know, that all plays into it. Um, and it's certainly similar for um, the WBFF. However, they kind of came out with a bit of a statement uh, earlier in the year that they were supporting or they had the desire to shift away from that performance enhancing drug look, which, you know, for females, it is extremely lean. Um, it can be dangerous if you're competing in, you know, the women's physique or figure um, or bodybuilding. Um, they've really kind of they set the they set the stage for accepting a slightly softer, you know, more feminine look um, because it is it's really a it's a show. I don't know if your audience have ever you know watched one of these shows online because they do stream them live. Um, it's like a Victoria's Secret runway show. Like yeah. it's sexy, it's loud, it's like a you know you're going out for the night. Like it's really fun, and I think that's what it appealed to me because you know. As a female, yes, we like the idea of being able to go into the gym and push hard, you know, work through these, you know, challenges and setbacks and you've got this big goal. But, you know, when you go and do a competition and I've competed in these other um, federations previously, so I was with the IFBB uh, or MPC, uh, as you guys call it here in America. Um, and I just didn't really feel like I got a chance to like also express my femininity. You know, yeah. they're, they're in a bikini, but, you know, it was all very scripted, very, um, you know, carefully crafted. Everyone's doing the same thing. And I was like, you know what, I look a little bit more different than this. I would like to show my own sense of personality and my own flair. So the WFF get you, they give you all that opportunity. Like there's theme where you can customize it however you like. There's no structured routines. So it really is like, it's such a subjective sport, like even more so yeah. um, than, you know, these other, other federations. So I think um, I kind of showed up this year with the softer physique and unfortunately it didn't pay off you know the the leanest girl on the stage still didn't win right um you know i think that builds character i think um you know you, you live and you learn and i think there's still 
there's always going to be a little bit of politics in some of these sure. um, competitions. But, um, yeah, I had a great time. It was really fun. I guess that's – so you, the look you brought to stage this time around was softer than you'd previously taken to stage. Yeah, absolutely. So I did a, an eight-week prep, which is wow. unheard of. Yeah. Yeah. So I still did lose, um, I guess I'll say it in pounds and kilograms. I lost about probably 12 pounds um, and five, four, five kilos for that show, which is nothing in comparison to previous years where I've, you know, lost 30 pounds through, through a prep and, you know, 15 kilograms. So I've I've kind of done so many different types of preps. And, yeah, this year I thought, you know what, my, like my as as an individual and where I see you know, my purpose in this, um, you know, in this organization. And I guess globally, I want to be a voice that kind of encourages women to, you know, love themselves how they are. I've really kind of shifted away from, you know, this insecure version of myself that, you know, really relied heavily on external validation. And part of me felt like, you know, as a fitness professional in the nutrition and health space, that I needed to uphold this, you know, certain appearance like year round. And by gosh, it's totally unrealistic, Um, especially if you have family and like lots of responsibilities like I do. Um, It was just really tough. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to go with what they're saying and hold that to be true. Um, And yeah, I really kind of came forward and said, look, I still face myself. Previously, I would have been terrified um, to do that because I'd be so worried that I, you know, I had a little bit extra body fat, which would have really um, hit me on a like a deep personal level, not just from the perspective of I might not win this this competition. I also felt still quite insecure in the past. So it was a really nice eye-opening experience to prove to myself that Number one, I can do this competition without an eating disorder driving the, the the process. It was truly me just, okay, I'm just going to do this because it's a competition. Um, and then to be able to get on stage softer and be able to embrace myself. So, yeah. That's, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, it's great to hear that kind of despite the placing, you still kind of got what you wanted from the process, oh, yeah. it sounds like. It, in terms of away from the condition that you were previously, were you like a couple of kilos away from that or was it more significant than that? No, I probably only was a couple of kilos. Yeah. I probably needed another two weeks um, and I just thought I'm not going to grind myself to the, to, the, to the cows come home. I just kind of embraced how I was. I, yeah. you know, still, I still had abs. You know, I, I think I looked great. I looked very feminine in my opinion. I think you'll we'll often get a lot of criticism, um, you know, when, when you're around that competition time by bypasses, you know, people in grocery stores or even just people in the gym, you know, it's not always, um, you don't always get positive feedback. Some people are like, Oh, oh, wow. You're too, you're too muscular. Like you don't even look like a girl anymore. So, you know, there's, it, it can. I mean, women aren't meant to be at that low body fat percentage. So we do look different, but I think I've kind of, you know, brushed that off. It's part of the, it's part of the the competition, but um, yeah, I was, I was only a couple of pounds, you know, heavier than I have been. So it wasn't too significant. Yeah. I mean, I can see you here stood like with shoulder, like the conditions coming through everything. So I know you were certainly in very good condition uh- <laughs> considering this is not like, like almost 10 weeks post. So uh, yeah. you're certainly right there. And it's, yeah, it's funny when you talk to people who don't necessarily understand the sport, they do tend mm. to come, uh, it, it gets sexualized quite easily. So like, oh, that's not attractive. Like, oh, that's yeah. too lean, whatever. It's like, well, that's not what it's 
we're going yeah. for here. Yeah, uh, exactly. But out of in, did you ask for judges' feedback or anything like that? Because obviously you were trying to go to what you thought the new judging criteria was. But mm -hmm. I don't know if it sounds like they regressed back to where they were judging previously. Yeah, so I did actually. Um, the morning after the show, uh, we were a couple of us were all down at breakfast, um, and we ran into the uh, the owners, the organisers of the event, and the feedback was interesting. So again, it's so subjective, um, right? Even down to the the point of, um, I guess, Paul Dillett, um, the owner. He actually said, "I I've seen you as a blonde, like platinum blonde, and I've seen you now with dark hair." He's like. I, he said literally his words were, I don't like your dark hair. So I was like, wow. oh, okay, I'll try not to take that like personally. But that's the thing. It's a really tough sport. Like you've got to be okay with getting criticism. And I think, you know, not everybody um, is ready to take that. And I was, I was like, okay, well, I'm glad you don't like it. I like my hair. But um, that it's just that's something to consider. You know, it makes sense. He, as a male, uh, his, his wife, uh, Alison, wonderful, lovely lady, Platinum blonde as well. I'm like, okay, sure, that makes sense. <laughs> it makes sense. Yeah, so it is. And if you've got somebody on the judging panel that likes a certain look, you know, even if you've got the best physique and the best costume, and you know, you're perfectly, are perfectly in symmetry, top to bottom, awesome glutes, whatever. Um, you've still got a, you've still got a panel of judges who have different tastes. So it yeah. is what it is. But outside of hair color, um, yeah, he kind of pointed out. Uh, yeah, you weren't as conditioned, you know, you set the standard last year when you came in uh, at Atlantic City and, you know, that's your look. So I was like, okay, well, I guess the conditioning was good in my case because, and I, I will speak to that, I've had clients that have competed before and, you know, they're either in figure or that maybe they are bikini competitive, but they're not quite as lean. Um but you know they've had they've had feedback that said you are too lean. You're based on your mechanics, based on your like body type. You would do you would fare better in this competition if you weren't as gristly or like lean. So I think hearing that, what I hear is bring your best self, how you know to be or how you feel to be most comfortable. Because you know some people's body um, shapes, you know they're they're unique, they're different. We all have different bodies and some some just look better, you know, with a little bit more body fat. So uh, in my case, I wasn't quite <laughs> quite received that way. But um, yeah, aside from that, uh, costume, I think they said to me, go loud, go bigger, go bolder. So I kind of have always been very, I don't want to stand out too much. I don't want fluoro colors. I don't want massive feathers, you know. <laughs> so, you know, that's just, that's going to encourage me to step into a place that I don't normally tread in my normal day-to-day -day life as well. I think I've yeah. always been very neutral. Like I don't want to stand out. So um, it's been really challenging in that way too because it has pushed me outside my comfort zone. Yeah, I, I can really appreciate the subjectivity of judging because I've had uh, the pleasure and honor of judging two shows this year for the WMBF. Oh, oh, cool. And so for the bikini and men's physique classes, I mean, there's subjectivity to all of it, but particularly for some of the kind of things that you're going for for them in terms of like, they call it like the it factor maybe, or like they got that stage presence and kind of it, it kind of also uh, leads itself to a younger looking individual maybe and younger looking kind of physique and body. Whereas if there's, so if there's not a master's class, it like it can be quite yeah, tricky for people. Yeah, it makes them stand out in a negative way. Yeah. Yeah. So I can definitely understand the, the challenge with it because it feels almost wrong, but 
it's it's part of the sport even when you look at men's bodybuilding some people just they they might prefer the shreds they might prefer like the big muscle bellies but less conditioned what have you so, or the more classic look versus whatever it might be so yeah. i can definitely see that uh does it change obviously they said they weren't looking for as much that kind of performance enhancing kind of a look mm. do you do you still feel now the pressure is still there for people to to potentially go down that route look i think um in, if I'll speak specifically to this federation because that's who I compete with and who I will continue to pick, compete with. I am going to go back next year and try and get that title. This will be the sixth year next year if I go for it. I've been like so close every year. So look, I think you know their bikini division um, is definitely um, pro like femininity. It's nothing like uh, NPC, IFBB at all. Um, it's like you know they're looking for. Um, you know, charm and stage appeal, performance. You know, the girls that have won the last couple of years are, you know, Latinas. They've got big, big booties. They're, it's like they've just been plucked off the beach, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, they're just very confident and it's less about your uh, physique and more about your presence and your your stage appeal. Um, if I jump to a category above me, um, which is figure, that is still heavily like performance enhancing drugs, uh, unfortunately. So, I mean, but that's why they have these distinct categories. And for me, like I'm a lifetime natural athlete. I have never taken any performance enhancing drugs. So I don't, number one, have the desire to be in that kind of category. So there's never been any temptation for me to do that. Um, but what I am seeing more in my category, because I sit nicely right in the middle, it's kind of like pretty muscular, pretty damn lean, but we're not as big as the girls in figure, but we're also a lot more tone, uh, toned. Why did I say that word? Um, they're a lot leaner than the girls in bikinis. Gosh, I'm showing my age now. So, um, you know, I think the challenges have been that, you know, performance enhancing drugs are becoming more and more kind of acceptable. And I totally, look, I, I don't judge people that want to do that. Um, my concerns really are for the individual's health. Um, I've worked with enough um, people to the point where I've seen people come away from a coach that has really encouraged uh, the use of steroids. And, you know, they're kind of saying, well, you know, this is a little bit much for me. Um, and I've seen, you know, some of the mild symptoms of, you know, their use, mild side effects, but I've also seen some people with really harmful um, side effects and symptoms. In some cases, like they've, you know, been in a life-threatening situation where they've, you know, had to go to hospital for, you know, yeah. their, their symptoms. So, look, I think I'm in a position now where some of the girls that are in my category probably are using some of these, um, you know, different steroids and PEDs, but... I just knowing the consequences and some of them are truly irreversible depending on how long you've been taking them and how much. Uh, I don't think that I'd want to risk that personally. So yeah, yeah I will continue to bring myself um, to these competitions the best that I can. And hopefully next year I just take the feedback. I've noted the fact that they're still going to choose the leanest girl on the stage. <laughs> 
You just need to get a kilo off, blonde hair, and some fluorescent oh, yeah. colors you've won. Exactly, so. <laughs> I think I'm just going to get a wig at this point. God, I don't think I can handle that. I don't, you obviously don't have any experience coloring your hair, but uh, for a woman to go from platinum blonde to like a level three dark color, which is what I've got in my hair now for those listening, um, my poor hair is probably going to be about two inches long if I decided to go back to blonde. So Y'all, if anyone's got a wig company, you just let me know. <laughs> Do you not see the progress you would like? Are you sick of writing your own programs? Or perhaps you need some accountability in order to stick with the plan? Then it's time to start working with us. We at Revive Stronger offer a truly personalized coaching service. You'll get more than just an email with some macros or random cookie cutter program. With Revive Stronger, you will be the center of our attention. You will receive your own fully individualized training protocol alongside a customized nutritional strategy. We created the coaching around your needs, wants, personal preferences, and your own unique lifestyle. Every single week, we delve into your program in order to make appropriate adjustments so that we get the most out of your time and the best possible outcome. We help both female and male athletes to seriously change their body composition by adding more muscle mass and decreasing fat tissue. No matter if you're a competitive bodybuilder or just want to look better, if you need help with your progress and taking your physique to the next level, our coaching is for you. It's time to make a change. Sign up today and let's revive stronger. And uh, I, I completely respect kind of the, the way you even answered and approached that question I'm the same like there's no morality towards it it's just kind of part of Personal what the, preference. yeah it's kind of people everyone makes decisions in life and like even stepping to stage and getting as lean as what we do sometimes you could argue that in, in its own right is not necessarily healthy but yeah. um yeah I think uh that the reason I bring it up is especially with social media and seeing all these kind of amazing physiques online I think a lot of people are starting to understand that some of them are maybe not attained naturally and uh, kind of it can lead to false expectations. And then especially males, it's been found like males are more and more likely to kind of go on kind of the performance enhancing route before they really understood the consequences. But I don't think as many people realize how many women to get kind of the look that they've got have had to have gone to, to the point of using the performance. Yeah. Drugs. And, I, and I think, look, the I've definitely worked with enough um, like professional female athletes that we can get really lean. It's scary uh, as a natural athlete, but I think what makes the difference is uh, the person's caloric intake. So that's where you tend to have the benefits. Um, so for instance, um, let's say, We've got me as a competitor. Uh, I might hit the stage at 130 pounds. And by the last few weeks of my diet, depending on you know how long I've chosen to diet for, I might finish up or wrap up around 1,200 calories or maybe a little bit less with quite a bit of activity in order to finish off getting into that you know level of body fat necessary. Whereas somebody that is getting on stage, let's say my identical twin, who's been on performance enhancing drugs for that prep and or parts of the season, maybe in their, in their improvement season, and then they've come off. Um, the, challenge, or the difference would be that their metabolic rate is probably going to be significantly enhanced because of that use. Um, so when they finish their diet, they're on 2000 calories still. And like, we look the same, but one of us has been grinding through absolute, like, you know, horrible um, hunger. You know, we've got so many unfortunate changes to our appetite regulating hormones uh, when we prep that, you know, your hunger is constant. Whereas somebody in the body of the performance enhancing drug user, you know, 
if I got to eat 2000 calories for the last few weeks of my prep, I would be absolutely like mind blown. I don't eat that. That wouldn't even be difficult. Like I eat that many calories now just because I'm quite inactive. Um, so it would, it would be easier. I'm not saying that it discounts any of the hard work because by gosh, some of these athletes, they train like beasts, like they really do. And I think I've grown to respect, um, you know, those, those individuals because, once upon a time, I used to be somebody that was a little bit judgmental. Um, and I would kind of say, well, they're cheating. Oh, it's easy. Sure. No, it's not easy. It's hard for everybody. Um, it's just there might be some small advantages from a calorie intake uh, perspective. And maybe they don't need to do as much cardio or overall activity during that contest prep to get that lean because their metabolic rate is significantly higher. So therefore they don't need to create that deficit through, you know, extreme calorie restriction. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's well described in you know, even thinking like a physique that has to, I don't know, do so many steps, do so much cardio beyond such low food. It, it just mm -hmm. isn't going to quite pop the same as a physique that's on much more food on way less expenditure, just well, not yeah. going to look as stressed. So I can definitely see that. And I tried to give my own sort of uh, performance enhancing via wearing a weighted vest for my last <laughs> prep. I was yeah. wearing a 10 kilo vest by the end, just all day walking with it like 20,000 steps. <laughs> and I got I've a few extra that. hundred calories, but... <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if it was worth it. <laughs> it's unfortunate, isn't it? I think there's like, again, we can look at, that's a really great example. I mean, there have been studies or case studies at least where, you know, people have uh, added the weight back on that they're losing, but it, the extra work that you have to do, it, there, there are certainly, there's certainly a point where there are diminishing returns. So, you know, you might say within like 60 minutes of walking normally, like at the beginning of your prep, perhaps you expend, I don't know, um, 300 calories. And then at the halfway point of your prep, you do that same 60 minutes. You've now lost a little bit of weight. Um, and maybe now you're only expending, I don't know, 200 calories. Um, by the final, you know, section of your contest prep, that same 60 minutes, you may only be burning 100, 100 calories now, or it might be even significantly less because of that adaptation. So there's those cardiovascular adaptations to exercise in response to the decreases in your lean body mass, because obviously we're going to get smaller. Um, there's less of a need to expend calories as we lose mass. Um, but also we start to become more subject to that, um, I guess, muscle loss too. It's just inevitable when you get that lean that you don't lose some uh, muscle mass uh, during a prep. So we've kind of got it like, <laughs> it's so much harder. It is. And even if you add that weight vest, like how much more you get out of it, I would love to see some more, some more research with a large number of people using those weight vests to see what their energy expenditure um, is like and is it significantly different or like does it make an impact on their overall energy expenditure because you know we can look at someone's maintenance calories and based on what I've observed and again this is very much anecdotal I'm sure there's more research coming through on this too but it looks like we have more of a maintenance calorie range so you know if your normal day-to-day -day maintenance is 2000 you've probably got a plus or minus um, you know anywhere from five to ten percent where if you eat more calories or less calories, your weight isn't really going to change a whole lot and you'd need a significantly like notable change in your energy balance, whether that's done through exercise or whether that's done through nutrition uh, restriction to see a notable difference in you know, weight loss or weight change. So 
I don't know what that says. Needs probably needs to have more research, but um, I've definitely done the weighted vest prep and it was, I got leaner, but it was also really uncomfortable. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, pick, choose your, choose your uh, sacrifice. Yeah, it's uh, there are no easy wins here. That's what it kind of looks like that way. And, and this naturals often do this. They try and find like any little hack that could possibly make the process easier. And unfortunately, there is basically nothing like you ha- is in like the, the harshest ways, like self-forced starvation. Like that's what it comes down to essentially. Like even when you try all the diet hacks that eventually has a rebound of a negative impact. <laughs> so Yeah, it just makes you more fatigued at some other point. I know for yeah. me, um, I had tried to, so we have um, a three-story house and my kitchen's on the bottom and our office is here on the top. So I caught myself a couple of times and I've probably shared this story in our old house too because we had a two-story house. But I would start like multi- like bringing up multiple drinks to sit at my my desk because I was like starting to get fatigued. I'm like, I don't want to have to go down and get another drink. I'm going to get thirsty. So, you know, I've been, I catch those behaviors during my prep and I would make myself go down and get them. But you know what? I can tell you now, when I finished the end of my work day and knew that I still had to go and get more steps, it was like, I might've done those stairs up and down multiple times, but that just made me more fatigued when I was walking. So I'd have to walk more anyway. So it's like, you know, everything is a trade-off. And at the end of the day, it's all really hard. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, that you can't really say it better than that. Uh, That's so true. And actually something related to your prep was, I believe you were trying to lose muscle even in some areas to kind of bring more the, the look that they were going for. I'd be interested yeah. to hear how that just in my head, like as a bodybuilder, I'm like, no way I could be losing muscle somewhere. So already it's kind of a bit of a, a weird thing for me, but how was that? And how did that kind of go for you? Oh, it was really weird. So um, if any, anyone listening and yourself as well, um, if you've got that competitive background and you've been in a sport that's performance-based where there's always trying to be you know, progression and you're trying to grow, get stronger, um, move faster, you know, you've got more agility, whatever it is. Um, I've always been that way. So, you know, stepping into the bodybuilding space, I've always been somebody that's like trying to get progressive overload. I'm trying to add, even if it's like a fractional weight plate one week, I'm always striving for more. And, you know, the, the, the repercussions of that were great. You know, I definitely grew a huge back and massive shoulders. It's funny. I was looking back at some photos the other day, um, from our contest prep guidebook and, um, it had like the figure position where I'm like, this and I just about died because I haven't looked at those photos for a while I'm like oh my god I had so much muscle so (laughs) the process for me to lose that muscle was basically everything that we've all been told to do so you know uh, optimal meal timing, making sure that you've got protein at every single meal, um, you know, in the adequate uh, recommendations, you know, if you're going to do cardio, try to split it up so that you get the most out of your resistance training. And, you know, you, you follow all the evidence-based principles. So I basically had to do the opposite and I basically <laughs> stopped training my upper body. Well, it's specifically my back, um, my back and my arms. Uh, just to kind of fit that look a bit more. And and personally as well, I think I prefer to be a little bit more feminine. I had just gotten so jacked (laughs) that I honestly was not really happy in my body anymore because I just wanted to be able to go and buy regular clothes. And I'm like, oh, no, this sucks. But anyway, yeah, I just stopped training for a whole 18 months. I think I had in every single training program um, one or two back exercises. That was it. Uh, I didn't train my arms for almost two years. I just completely stopped. 
Um, and thankfully, I was able to step on the stage about two and a half pound, uh, sorry, two and a half kilograms lighter. And I know for sure that that was all from my back because it is very clear from the pictures. So it took me that long to lose two and a half kilos or five pounds. <laughs> and that was basically detraining. And that kind of goes, goes with all the literature that we have about, you know, what does it actually take to start losing muscle? Because I'll have clients that are, you know, about to go on a holiday and they're terrified that, oh my God, if I stop training, am I going to lose my muscle? Like, do I need to keep going to the gym? Like how, how serious is this? Like, what's the damage coach? Tell me. And um, it's surprisingly um, uh, the volume decrease to see significant reductions in muscle mass is surprisingly great. So uh, there's a couple of studies that I've referenced previously on podcasts and on social media, but um, there, this is the one in particular that I'm thinking of. There were three different, um, I guess, uh, training protocols. There was a group that were uh, basically detrained for um, the 16-week study intervention. Uh, there was another group that did about um, one ninth of their normal training volume, and then another group that did a third of their normal training volume. So in the younger adults group, um, the group that uh, did a third of their normal volume still gained muscle mass over that 16-week dietary uh, uh, training intervention. Um, and interestingly, the group that did a ninth of their normal training volume still maintained their muscle mass. So, you know, in seeing that and just living that out, you know, as an individual, it's so true. It took so much for me to lose that muscle. So I guess point of the matter is here, that's a really good thing, Um for people to know, because if you put in the work, once you've got that muscle, it's going to stick around. It takes quite a bit to lose it, which is really like reassuring. So, you know, if you think about the one week holiday that you have, um, the only negatives that I really foresee happening is just the shift in energy balance. So let's say you're normally eating 3000 calories a day and you're training five days a week and you do some cardio. Um, if you continue to eat that same amount of calories on your holiday and you stop all your exercise, well, naturally you're going to be putting yourself into a small energy surplus. And the downside of that, well, if you consider it a downside, I consider, hey, I've got a holiday and I'm going to eat what I want. But uh, you would put on body fat, that would happen because you're in a small surplus. But would you lose muscle mass? No, unlikely. Yeah, that's, I mean... To hear you literally had to go out of your way, do everything oh, yeah. like in the book wrong, basically. Uh, to yeah, I had, I had days it. where um, my my normal, like if I was to, to hit my protein targets, um, you know, based on my lean body mass, I usually sit somewhere around like 145, 140, but you can, you know, higher or lower, anywhere in that range would be good. I was intentionally going about on my upper body training days. Um, I would probably have a hundred grams of protein. Like, so I was doing it all wrong. I'm eating more carbs on those days. It probably backfired because I probably had more carbohydrate and energy available after those <laughs> sessions. But yeah, I, I really had to to do it all backwards, which was very strange, but um, it worked. So yeah. Are you carrying that through now? Because I imagine if you start increasing everything, like the muscle memory would start kicking back in and it will start piling back on. Yeah, so my current training programs, I've still given the intention to continue, um, you know, with the WBFF as a federation next year. I need to, you know, I know what physique they're looking for, so I'm not reintroducing a whole lot of back work. 
Um, right now, I believe in my current 12-week training block, which I've actually got available on the workout builder at the moment for people to do, um, there's only two back exercises. That's it. And I'm not doing any wide grips. Everything is close grips, kind of just isolating the rhomboids a little bit more so that I avoid the big V taper, that lat spread that is a lot more com common in, you know, the figure, uh, figure girls. Um, that's it. I'm doing lots of shoulder work and lots of glute work. And then, you know, everything else is kind of fairly minimal. Is there any exercises you miss? And did you find that by reducing those areas, it opened up more recovery and your performance increased for the other muscle groups particularly? So I think there's pros and cons for, for doing this. So I think taking out a lot of those back exercises, obviously there's that potential for um, uh, atrophy to take place. But, you know, the, the, the consequence was I still need to be able to manage my energy balance. So I'm going to replace those exercises with something else um, so that I don't suddenly see a big decrease in my energy expenditure. So um, I started doing a lot more like lower body stuff, you know, a lot more glute training specifically. Um, you know, for a lot of women, that's kind of, you know, the ultimate goal to have really nice, you know, uh, glutes, peachy glutes and like great legs. So the volume of those movements really increased. So I found myself probably not recovering quite as well from my lower body sessions, but, you know, it, it's all manageable. I think if you can plan out your training week accurately and you can give yourself some rest days in between, um, you know, I, I think I managed it just fine. And the body adapts over time. You know, the initial, the initial shift, I recall very distinctly being like, I can't walk. Wow, this is a big shift in volume to my legs all of a sudden. So, you know, time again, I'd probably do it a little bit more gradually and just wear the consequence of reducing my energy expenditure by taking out those exercises. But um, yeah, it's like anything, you, you do adapt to it. And I think um, a lot of people really freak out when they've seen some of my programs, um, you know, on our training platform. And it's like four or five, four days of legs and one day of upper. And they're like, that can't be right. Like we've been told you cannot do, you know, back-to-back -back days. Like it's so wrong. That's overtraining. You're going to get injured. And my response to that is, well, no, if you were brand new, I'm not going to put you on a program like that. You have to gradually work your way into it. But, you know, consider I, as a professional athlete, I've been doing this for a long time. So in order to make progress, you do like the volume gets pretty intense. And the more like the closer you get to your genetic potential, um, the harder it is to make gains. So for big, big increases in volume, um, you the reward is very small. It's like I said before, it's like diminishing returns. So it gets so much more challenging to make uh, advances the higher up you are in that uh, experience level. Yeah, for sure. And I guess uh, by kind of reducing the volume on the back and op maybe opening up the ability to do more for your lower body or maybe seeing gains that you wouldn't have mm -hmm. if you weren't able to specialize as extremely yeah. as that, which is yeah perfect for what you're trying to do. Uh, yeah. The other thing I did was actually fill in the gaps with some more cardio, which was something that I hadn't done in a long time too. So again, not to be too extreme by just subbing out all of that chest and back work and arms. I think there's probably at least 20 sets or maybe more per week that I needed to, to fill. So yeah, I think I ended up doing just uh, a little bit more cardio uh, as well. In, and then instead of trying to replace it all with uh, other exercises. So yeah. that was helpful. And again, I think whilst we know that cardio can interfere with some of those mTOR signaling pathways, which isn't a good thing for uh, hypertrophy, 
everything exists on a spectrum. So it's not like I was going out and doing, you know, 120 minutes of high intensity, you know, cardio or something or doing Peloton rides for 60 minutes every day of the week. It was, you know, 20 minutes a day and maybe two times a week um, on non-training days. So, um, yeah, I think you just have to kind of plan these things carefully with your ultimate goal in mind. That makes complete sense. And we would actually already spoken a bit about like social media and people seeing highlights and things. And that brings me to the question of in regards to your prep and I haven't actually seen your YouTube, which I, I should have checked out, but uh, I know <laughs> you've got your YouTube and you're sharing bits of your prep there. Are there any bits that you think maybe from the outside in for people looking whether or not they're things you maybe, maybe don't like to share? And I don't know, you might not even want to share it here or like <laughs> things that you feel like some competitors don't not a good enough job of sharing but I know for me for example like I don't like to really say I'm having like a hard time because I don't really want to make it a reality but are there any things like that where you're like people need to realize how tough it can really be to get to that level of condition yeah so (laughs) there's lots of things that suck and again I'm I think one of the reasons that I have the following that I have is because of my ability to be transparent and just be vulnerable. And I think it makes, you know, it makes me more relatable to people. So I used to be that way where I didn't want to show people any of my weaknesses. I wanted to, you know, stand up and be like, nothing can like harm me. I'm this hardworking, extremely driven person. I don't have any issues when the fact of the matter is that's not true. You know, everybody struggles with stuff. So yeah, I think that's one of the unique things about me is that I have shared as I've shared a lot about that. Um, I guess if I go back 10 years, the first thing that I would have been terrified to share or talk about was my struggles with my eating disorder. So, you know, I'd suffered for 15 years with uh, bulimia and binge eating disorder. And for about 10 of those, I had no, um, you know, outside professional support. I just felt like I can manage this on my own. I'm a dietitian. I'm a fitness nutrition expert. I don't need to get support because, you know, I know what I'm eating and what I'm putting into my body. Little did I realize it's got nothing to do with like having the ability to know about food. You know, it's very much a psychological disorder. So, um, you know, that's just my inexperience and um, immaturity probably coming through there. But, you know, I've been very open and um, vocal about um, my struggles and, you know, the things that I have learned going through that recovery process. So there's plenty of videos on my YouTube um, where I, you know, very openly share like the whole story, like where it came from, how, um, which I think a lot of people can relate to. But, you know, beyond beyond the struggles of that, you know, eating disorder, I think the hardest things for competitors, which people don't normally talk about, um, is number one, the time sacrifice. I think, you know, we we see all of these Instagram you know, influencers and YouTubers, bloggers, whatever, um, promoting or sharing, um, you know, this information about their contest prep. And it appears to be extremely, um, you know, easy for them. And the reality is I have had to make so much time um, sacrifice for other things that are important in my life. So, you know, the main thing that springs to my mind is, you know, before I was married, um, I lived on my own. I did not have children. Uh, I worked within like three miles of my home and, you know, I basically just had to be responsible for me. And I could also, you know, craft and like create this uh, pristine environment for me to live in 
in order to not stuff up my diet. Like I only had things in my house that, you know, I would eat that were appropriate for prep. And I can't recall the number of times I might've eaten an entire tub of Greek yogurt with some sweetener because I was so hungry, but that would be better than eating like a whole bag of French fries or a box of cookies. So, you know, I had this extremely um, tailored environment that allowed me to do that sport. And, you know, for women that are, you know, they have to travel for work for hours on end a day and they've got, you know, public transport and then they've got, um, you know, children where they need to be picking up from school, dropping off at school um, and other outside activities. And then they maybe they run multiple businesses and they've got extra responsibilities. Now add in social life and then your relationships uh, where you have other like obligations. So for people like that, I think it's so important to realize that the bodybuilding lifestyle and the fitness influencer lifestyle, it definitely plays favor to certain certain types of people. Um, and that a lot of the work that I do now with one-on-one clients is setting realistic expectations. So one of the things that I do with clients is have them write down, what are all your priorities in life? Like what are, what are your current responsibilities, obligations, like the must-haves that you need to do in order to live? So they'll fill that out for me and then I'll have them prioritize that list. And sometimes there's five things that are all equally important and a high priority. And then they've also got this fitness goal on the side. So I'll have to say to them, you know, it is like, look, we've time blocked your schedule. I can see exactly how many hours all these other equally important tasks take you in a day. How can we make this goal of fitness fit? You go, like, come yeah. back to me next week. Like, I will get them to do, like, they'll have to send me their scheduling. So, and if they can't fit it and they can't find, you know, an extra hour in the day, I'm like, well, that's okay. I just have to, you to, you have to understand that this can't be your, we can't achieve the goal that you're wanting to achieve or certainly not do it in the timeframes that you've signed up to work with me. Like if you've got 12 weeks, unfortunately, this is going to be a two year process based on your commitments. So, you know, it's a lot of expectation setting um, to make sure that somebody really understands that their goals are feasible. Losing weight fast while maintaining muscle mass. Sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? It isn't though, it's reality and we know how to do it and we will help you achieve this. The Minicup Movement is an eight week fat loss program to make you lose a huge chunk of fat while maintaining muscle mass at the same time. We will support you from the beginning to the end so that you see the results you would like to and come out of it much stronger. You'll receive a fully automated spreadsheet that is based on your nutritional needs. You can choose between six different male and female training templates. Over 30 videos will guide you through each and every single step of the minicup so that you're getting the most out of your journey and that you always know what to do. But the best thing is that you can start whenever you want. The minicup movement is open 24-7. So if you want to learn more or you're ready to sign up, hit the link in the description below. So let's revive stronger together. I think sorry. That, sorry. I was just going to say, I think that's so well said because it's something I've reflected upon for myself personally in that I, I know I have a huge advantage against other competitors because I have those things in terms of I work from home, I create yeah. my own schedule, I've got a dog yeah. and a girlfriend. That's like <laughs> my responsibilities. I can go to the gym as many times as I need at various times. Like it, it's so much easier for someone in my position versus like you said, I've had clients who have 
way busier schedules maybe they do night shifts and like they've got a ton of responsibilities it just makes it so much harder yeah and that's and that's um yeah i i totally agree with you and i think the same we've all got the same 24 hours in the day I really can't stand that because no, we don't. If you've got children and you've got multiple jobs or you run many businesses like we do, the reality is you've got other priorities. So you don't have the same number of hours in the day to commit to exercise and that's okay, but that's also your choice. So um, we just have to kind of accept those realities. Um, but I think, you know, beyond, um, you know, the time sacrifice, I'm trying to kind of bring us back to the original question, which was, you know, what are some of the things that people uh, maybe don't share when they're going through a, a competition? Um, I think the extreme hunger and extreme fatigue. Now, it's it doesn't start off that way. It can be pretty cool and cruisy for a few weeks, but there are like weeks on end where you every single moment of the day, you are basically waiting for your next meal. <laughs> you know about this because you compete too. So, you know, you just have to grit your teeth and not everybody has that same willpower. Uh, and I think if there are individuals that struggle with their um, emotional regulation and they are somebody that utilizes food as their, you know, stress uh, response, or, you know, if they are somebody that's prone to anxiety or um, compulsivity disorders, you know, they will use food as a way to kind of detach, numb out, um, you know, from that feeling that they're having. So, you know, there are individuals that are prepping, which I've had these experiences myself, where even if you have the best intentions not to, um, you know, eat when you're experiencing that extreme hunger and fatigue, um, because you don't have the coping skills to manage those emotions, you basically end up having to do double the work because now you're eating in excess of your calorie requirements. You're no longer in a deficit. So you have to go over and above. And I can recall my earliest preps when I still was really struggling with my eating disorder. Um, I think at some point I would have to do maybe like 60 minutes of higher intensity cardio um, per day because of the amount of calories that I was binging on due to other life stresses that were related to my work or my finances or relationships, whatever it was. So, you know, I think being self-aware for people that are deciding to compete, that's such an important thing and to be able to recognize, like, I know what my weaknesses are. I know what stresses me out. Um, I know what my triggers are to be able to have like a management plan and to work on how to like psychologically, how can I, you know, develop better coping skills? Because if you're not somebody that does that well, um, bodybuilding is a really hard sport. And I've worked with so many people that have really struggled with that. Um, so that's another one. Uh, I think the sleep, um, sleeping difficulties is really difficult. Um, we are more prone to having a hard time falling asleep and then staying asleep. Um, the consequences of that is that if your uh, sleep circadian rhythm changes at any point, whether it's only a 15 minute or 30 minute shift from your kind of normal routine, um, that has enough impact to make it more challenging to adhere to your macros because those disturbances in sleep impact your leptin. They cause your leptin to go down, um, thus making your appetite and your hunger even more extreme when it's already hard in prep. So that's why sleep during prep is incredibly important. And one of the things that I learned throughout my uh, more recent preps, actually, I think the studies kind of came out that showed this maybe three or four years ago. And I would save up all my calories to go to 
you know, an event on the weekend, like I did flexible dieting, so I'm calorie cycling. Um, so I would fit in some alcohol and that was fine. You know, we can work that in without having any negative consequences unless you, you binge drink, but that wasn't the case. But I'd find myself staying up like significantly later and later. Um, and I might go to bed at two o'clock in the middle of a prep on the weekends. Whilst I still did all my training, I meet every obligation. I hit my macros. I was still doing all the right things. Um, we have been able to find out that sleep deprivation um, absolutely impairs MPS signaling. So even if you go and do the workout the next day, when you've been up until two or three o'clock in the morning, because of that sleep deprivation, um, you're less likely to get the same hypertrophy adaptations as you would have had you actually had a full night's recovery. So that for me was like, ooh, I'm going to start day partying now. <laughs> you know, I didn't want to give up my social life because that really, you know, having connections and being able to socialize and go out and have a drink like that is still really important to me. So, you know, I just shifted around how I did things to, to make it work. So, yeah, the sleep stuff is really challenging. Libido loss, that's a tough one. I mean, I'd actually, I can probably talk about this on another episode, but um, I have just started hormone replacement therapy myself today. Um, my testosterone levels um, have been sitting at about a five to a seven um, for a few months. And I finally just decided I don't want to feel like this anymore. I'm going to go and have hormone replacement therapy. So that's an interesting story. I'll probably do something on my yeah. social media about that. But um, yeah, I think the libido loss um, and then like depression, the mood, um, mood changes, there's so many things that are negatively impacted that people don't want to share with you because like I said we want everybody to like us like why do, why do we do podcasts why do we put up social media posts like we want that attention um because we want people to to like us and engage with us and you know think positively and highly of us so to be vulnerable and share those struggles um that takes a really um a really unique person um, to kind of be able to share and share in that way. So, yeah, they're the main ones. And strength decreases, muscle loss, you know, the normal types of things, um, performance decreases, energy, low energy. But I probably exhausted that list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's there's quite a few there for sure. And I think, um, yeah, in regards to kind of being honest about it, I think there's some people look at it and they almost think, Oh, this is a choice, so I shouldn't complain about any of it. And I, I think the key thing here is just the fact you're going through these things doesn't mean you're complaining about it if you're telling people mm -hmm. about it. Like being mm -hmm. hungry all the time, that's legitimately what you're feeling. It's not like, mm -hmm. oh man, I'm so hungry all the time. You can say, I'm really hungry all the time. Because <laughs> yes. as you know, it's a choice. Like you probably get it the same way. If people are complaining about it all the time, you're kind of like, well, you did choose to do this. Like, yeah, yeah. So, but if you're just telling people like, yeah, I haven't got a libido, that sucks, but like uh, it's yeah. part of the course. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I can completely yeah. see that. And the sleep one is, I mean, like you said, over the last few years, I think it was, um, I've forgotten who wrote it, but Why We Sleep was the the book that came out, which I think just so many people caught it and read it and yeah. kind of transformed people's opinions on, oh, wow, sleep's actually super important, especially for bodybuilders. Yeah. Cause it was Arnie who kind of came out and was like, oh, like if you've got, 
like more to do it would be like in prep oh i haven't got time you'd be like well sleep faster like do six hours of sleep versus eight it's like well actually probably yeah, is gonna no. have like a real negative feedback <laughs> right and i think that was the other thing um i probably didn't mention this there was a, a study that um looked at people that were getting up early in the morning like to change their circadian rhythm um to get up to get their cardio done um for the purposes of like energy expenditure to you know improve their rates of fat loss um, but the, I guess the outcome of that, um, that paper was that it might actually not be doing you any favors. In fact, you know, the extra energy expenditure that you think that you're doing with the cardio, it's actually not being as effective because it's impeding all of your other processes, you know, later in the day. So like get your sleep, you know, don't get up at 3am just to get your cardio in. Like you might be better off from an overall total daily energy expenditure standpoint to just rest and then have a higher quality, you know, more energy expending resistance training session, um, you know, instead. So, yeah, I, I've i never been one to get up at the, the 3 a.m. hour and do any cardio. Uh-uh. No, yeah. You, I, I'll do a longer prep for that. Yeah, that's really well said because I think it just has to be said, like, is it like the foundation to your training and nutrition is like sleep here? Like even for, I see people like are studying and they're staying up later, like study or whatever it is. It's like, well, you're probably not going to learn it as well. And you're probably better taking the sleep and kind of shifting your schedule around or what have you. Uh, out of interest, Holly, did you find in terms of emotions, did you get uh, a sense of apathy? Like, did you feel like emotionless and kind of, you didn't care about things at one point? Oh yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. So I think that kind of just comes along with the the decreases in the sex hormone production. So, you know, as the prep goes on, um, as your progesterone levels start to lower, your estrogen levels start to lower, testosterone, you know, definitely lower, thyroid, like all of these are hormones that are heavily involved in our, you know, regulation of our energy and that internally like manifests as like you're just feeling flat like you've just got nothing and I would say my life circumstances have probably contributed to some of that as well but um you know that that's definitely a noticeable and frequently reported finding in studies in bodybuilders um you know and natural natural bodybuilders especially so yeah I think I've definitely struggled with the like a bit of depression um but part of that is a symptom of not being able to be as social anymore like I can't go out and just have a good night or go to the movies and enjoy a meal at Cinebistro or it's like you you don't get to have the same fun experiences in your normal day-to-day life either so it's kind of multifaceted I think you've got that hormonal shift that can contribute to the um, you know change in mood and then also the um, execution of your like the priorities in your life you know the domains of health if you can't have connections anymore like that's going to have an impact so I've enjoyed prepping with friends that's kind of made it a bit more fun in in that you go to the gym each day you've got someone that you're committed to training with so I've definitely noticed not having a training partner in my last prep I was not motivated and also I was not motivated when I was doing prep because I didn't have the the goals of strength. Like I had to just go in and do like an RPE row, uh, sorry, RPE six for a back row or, you know, we were talking before about trying to lose muscle. So the incentivization and the thing that drew me to the sport in the first place, which is like my competitiveness, like that's gone. So it's like, I'm just going into the gym to do a half ass job, you know? <laughs> so yeah. it was, there's so many reasons that 
um, your mood can change, but I am guessing it depends on the individual. Yeah, for sure. And I think uh, just to say it, because clearly you want to compete again and clearly we keep coming back. Like I've competed multiple times, despite all these negatives, uh, it's still, there's, there's plenty of positives too, but uh, we might have to touch on that in another podcast. And so too with the, the HRV, uh, HRV, oh, yeah. HRT even, uh, HRV. Uh, so that'll be really interesting, I think for the listeners and I'm interested to hear about it too. So, uh, yeah. but Thank you for your time, Holly. If, if people want to learn more about you, if they want to check out the coaching that's going to be coming out, where should they head? Yes. Yeah, so I am most active on Instagram and YouTube. So my Instagram handles is the same as the YouTube. It's Holly T Baxter. So um, if you go to my profile, you'll see a little link and it basically shows all of my products and services. Um, and you'll be able to find out more details about coaching very soon. So yeah, stay tuned for that. <laughs> Perfect. And I think probably when this is out, because we have a few in the tank, uh, your coaching will be live. So hopefully that'd be nice if it was live. I'm sure it will be. And I'll make sure that's all linked below. And again, thank you, Holly, for coming on. Thank you guys for listening and we'll catch you soon. Thank you so much. So I'm Steve Hall, founder of Revive Stronger and a coach of Revive Stronger. My name is Pascal Flor. I'm the co-owner of Revive Stronger and also a coach, of course. Revive Stronger has probably been going solidly for three years, probably roughly about three years. Revive Stronger, to me, it is becoming kind of my child, my foster child. It's the gathering and getting together of like-minded people. We've been expanding the coaching team, which is helping us help more people. Uh, but each coach can only help a certain number of people. Right now, it's all over the place. We have YouTube, we have Facebook, we have Instagram, but there isn't that community aspect behind that. And so the next step for us is developing a membership site. So basically, we want to create a family and a community that is then benefiting from another. A really cool community for people within our little niche is going to be a website. They will get early access to our podcast. You can access us, ask us questions, the community aspect. We have a forum there. You can ask questions, but also you can, you can lock your journey. There's also going to be courses on there, courses, presentations on different topics. Discount of past seminar footage. We will log our journey as well. We'll start vlogging. We're gonna have documentaries, our entire athletic journey. Furthermore, they get access to an exercise video library. The exercises that we love for hypertrophy and maximizing hypertrophy, we're gonna go through those in depth, telling you how to execute them. We kept them concise and also mobile friendly so that you can watch them in between your sets. I'm super excited to grow this community. The amount of value that we're going to be delivering is huge. And I'd love you to be part of it. You will get so much out of that. I'll see you inside.